there, Shopamaniacs! You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, this is uh, our second episode in kind of a loose mini-series. We're doing kind of digging into the modern JavaScript uh, um, side of front-end development, I guess. And so on, the, on our first episode, if you listened last week, we talked to Henry Zhu of Babel and got to his whole perspective on what Babel does for the the universe and it was such a cool way to start this series because it's like you know th- think of a thing that has a huge impact on the javascript ecosystem certainly it's Babel. what has an even bigger impact on the javascript hmm uh, i'd say you can't get much bigger uh than npm and so we have an incredible guest laurie voss is joining us from npm hey laurie hi thanks for inviting me yeah, this is wonderful. So what? So you are the, the, the CDO, the Chief Data Officer at NPM. Can you tell us about that and what NPM is and that type of sure. stuff for us? Um, well, as it, as it comes to the title, the thing that I tell people these days is like, you know, when you're a founder, you get to make up a title that has the word chief in it. Like, I don't know what Chief Data Officer means at other companies, but basically what it means is I get to dig into the mountain of data that NPM generates every single day and try and figure out things that are useful to know out of that stuff. Um, in terms of NPM and uh, who we are, um, we started out as the Node Package Manager, and then we became the JavaScript Package Manager. And a couple of years ago, we sort of realized that we have become kind of the Package Manager for web development, generally. Um, and a lot of the stuff that's happening inside of NPM isn't JavaScript anymore, which was a big surprise to us. Um, uh, I work at NPM Inc., which has been around five years now, but NPM, the open source project, started uh, 10 years ago um, in 2009. In fact, its birthday is coming up. In hey, 10 years! 10 years of people complaining about node modules being too big. <laughs> so, but it, th- there's people out there, perhaps, you know, for better or worse, that what they think of as NPM is just something that their teacher told them to type into their terminal, and it just works somehow. They've installed it or it came pre-installed their computer, and it it does some magic for them. It just pulls some some files out of the sky, and and that's that's all they think of it as. But and and that it's true. That's what it does. But like you said, there's NPM Inc. as well, which. Uh, you know, of course there is, right? There needs to be some company that that makes that command work and shells out for the, I'm sure, extreme amount of bandwidth required to to make that happen. So that that's why NPM Inc. exists, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Um, in 2013, NPM had something like 1.3 million users, um, and Ooh. it was it was still Isaac's uh, sort of nights and weekends project when he was working at Joyent. Um, and so he was looking at this thing, you know, like at the time, NPM, it was down for like eight hours a day, right? Like anytime Isaac went to sleep, NPM would fall over and it wouldn't come back up until he woke up again. Like it was not, it was famous for its downtime. Um, and so he looked at the situation and was like, well, this isn't, this isn't going to work. It's either going to collapse under its own weight or we have to make it sustainable. And um, we'd known each other a long time already by that point. Uh, and he was like, all right, well, we need to make it sustainable. And one of the ways you can do that is you can form a foundation, um, like some other, uh, some other package managers have done, um, 
But we talked to the people who run the foundations and their, their feedback was not good. Their feedback was like, well, we have a fixed amount of money that we have to beg for every year, but our costs go up all the time. So it's just not a good model. You're um, like NPM PR. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead we decided to go for a, a more sustainable model of a company whose you know, revenue scales to how popular it is. Um, and that's, that's been working so far. Um, now NPM has uh, 11 million users, um, and they download a lot more stuff. The registry has grown 25,000% since NPM Inc. became an Inc. That's something else. It's a little closer to the GitHub model, right? Oh, you want, you want privacy or enterprise? That's a paid thing. Exactly. Um, and until quite recently, people were like, well, we don't know if GitHub's model is a good model. And now we're like, hey, remember when they got acquired for $7.5 billion? It seems they were doing okay. <laughs> um, oh. So we're oh. like, yes, we've, we've, got a, we've got a business model and we like the business model. And the point of the business model is that it keeps the registry running forever. Um, the things that we, pro- that we give away for free are, you know, open source packages. Anybody can upload one. Anyone can download one. Um, and the two things that the two primary things people pay for are, um, you know, being able to keep packages private. So, you know, you, if you want to keep it private to just your team or just your company, you want to have different permissions for people to be able to publish or install that kind of stuff. Um, and also security, which is becoming a bigger and bigger part of what we do. Um, at the beginning of mm-hmm. 2018, we acquired um, Lyft Security um, in response to how big a deal security was becoming for us because people are very concerned about, you know, I download 2,000 packages to make my app run. Um, you know, it's great that I don't have to write all of the code in those 2,000 packages, but I don't know who they're from, and I don't know if it's good. Um, and, you know, that's a valid question. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, um, we work on that um, and uh, provide... Uh, both security, free security services in the form of the NPM audit command. Um, and for enterprise customers, we provide uh, deeper paid services. And that, that runs every time you NPM install, right? Because I, I see a little message like, you have 53 vulnerabilities <laughs> in, in Gulp. <laughs> you, so. should, you should probably take a look at those. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, what, we, what runs every time you install is what we call a quick audit, which just tells you, you know, you've got something wrong or you haven't. Um, and then the NPM audit command will uh, tell you everything that's wrong in detail. Um, and uh, one of the fun things is that it will tell you how to fix it if it knows how to fix it. And the, fi- the fix is usually that you find the vulnerable module and you upgrade it to the fixed version of the module because usually somebody mm. finding a vulnerability immediately results in the author, you know, patching that vulnerability. Um, and so this, this is so funny because we released the NPM audit command and like, a week after releasing the NPM audit command, we were like, the audit command basically just tells you to run NPM. Why do we have a command? Like, why is there an NPM command that tells you to run NPM? Why doesn't it just run itself? So then this, we added the NPM audit fix command, which is what that does. The, oh. NPM, the NPM audit fix command, it just fixes everything. It's just like, okay, you've got 53 vulnerable packages. Uh, here are the 53 new packages that you need to install instead to, to fix everything. Now you have zero vulnerable packages. You're welcome. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everything. Um, you know, sometimes to fix the vulnerability, you need a breaking change. And that means that you have to say, okay, it's fine. My code will break. I will need to, you know, manually fix it. Um, but it really takes a lot of the effort out of keeping your stuff secure. 
That's a big deal. It's nice to know that, that you know, if anybody, it would be very unfair to think that NPM doesn't care about security. You do a ton of, of work for this, including integrate it directly into the tools that people use uh, every single day, which is pretty rad. How do you spread the word about something like that? You know, it's nice that we are able to do it here in a very small way, but with 11 million users. Well, building it into the command helps a lot. Like you'd, you'd heard about it because you saw the security command. You lot, lots of people just, you know, run the command, run npm install and go, oh, I can, there's a security command, like, and then they find out about it that way. Um, but you're right, telling, letting people know um, what's going on with npm is a really big challenge for us. Like something like half of the 11 million people um, who use npm, they think about it the way that you said that people think about it, which is it's just this thing that my teacher told me to run. Like half of them don't know that there's an npm inc. They don't know that there's a company. It's not that they that we make products that they don't want. It's that they don't and know. You're that a data a officer, so when you say half, you mean it, right? I mean half. Like I'm, yeah. I've got the data. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's like cool and hella frightening, isn't it? I mean, like that people don't understand the infrastructure, but then also like cool, the infrastructure is invisible. Is that where exactly where you want? Yeah, to be? it's it's it's. It's a testament to sort of our reliability and uptime now that people don't think about where NPM comes from and what it's doing because it just always works or like it nearly always works. Um, but, you know, the downside there is they don't think about us and therefore, you know, those ha- that half of people, we can't talk to them to tell them that there's new stuff that they need. So we've been, we've been doing our best. We've been, uh, you know, broadcasting on, you know, every channel we can find, going through every article, going to every conference that we can manage to go to. Um, and we are get, we are making some progress. Um, in particular, one of the things that we've been, you know, trying to get across to people is the average web app these days, you know, a rich web app, it has 2,000 NPM modules in it. You can't just hope they're okay. You have to be using security services. Um, so, you know, the sign that that's working would be, has the number of people who are concerned about security gone up? Because everybody should be secure, concerned about security. The number should be 100%. Um, so last year it was 77%, and this year it's 83%. So we made some progress. Like a lot more people have realized that this is a thing that they need to take care of, um, and a lot more people are are taking care of it. A lot. Uh, last year only 39% of people were running um, uh, code scans to check for the security of to check for security, and this year 46% of people are. That's still less than half. Right, like it should be a hundred percent of people, um, but uh, it's it's a big improvement. It is on a lot of people. So even my, I live in a somewhat small town, and we have a, a tiny little JavaScript meetup, and we we chose one week to just sit around and talk about JavaScript security, and 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 it starts with npm, you know, because of course occasionally there's major news articles that that you know, highlight some particular problem that happened throughout the NPM thing. But then it's, but I think people realize that you know, it's not everybody like, I'm sure maybe it feels differently to you being as intimately involved as you are, but that they, not everybody jumps right on NPM and says, oh, can you believe they let this happen again? Because some people are like, well, it's really the maintainer's responsibility or it's the people that use packages at all. Like, why would you let some insecure thing happen? So the, the where you kind of place I don't know, responsibility or blame can be in lots of different places. But of course, I guess you as, as, as comma Inc. Uh, want to do as much as you can. I feel both ways simultaneously. On the one hand, I, when, when people say, you know, you know, 
JavaScript security is because NPM sucks. I'm like, that's not fair. Mm. Like, that's not true. Um, but also, is NPM the company that is best placed to be doing something about JavaScript security? That's absolutely true. Like, is it always the case that NPM could have done, like, every time there's a security problem, is it the case that NPM could have done more and that would have made this less likely? That's also true, right? So it's simultaneously not our fault, but also kind of our responsibility. It is a, it is a thing that we should t- be taking care of, which is why we're taking it so seriously. Um mm-hmm. But I think the biggest misunderstanding people have about JavaScript security is that the thing that gets all the press, the thing that gets people uh, to notice JavaScript security is malicious code. They hear about event stream. They hear about left path. Like those right. are the two big ones that people can remember. But those, they happen like once a year, maybe twice a year. They're really rare. Like malicious code on the registry is a very rare event. What happens all the time, what happens 99% of the time is accidentally vulnerable code. Somebody where they, some, somebody made a hole in a server, they accidentally left like a vulnerability to, uh, you know, flood attacks, they're misparsing something, their regex is bad. Like 99% of mm-hmm. the things that are vulnerable, the author didn't know that they were doing something wrong and there's already a fix, but people haven't picked them up. And that's, that's usually like, Kind of like, I don't know, like deep nerd security stuff, sort of like, oh, if you like throw this character at this regex, you can actually, I don't know, trick the DNS to do something like that. Those are the kind of problems that are kind of hidden. Absolutely. And like, but the problem is that that's, you know, that's the thing that gets you owned, right? The one, the one that everybody hears about, nobody gets owned by those things because everybody heard about it and everybody's like, holy crap, we need to fix that. <laughs> Like it's the ones that stay under the radar that sit there for months unpatched and people get owned by them because by the time a hacker, you know, gets around to figuring out how to really exploit that bug, they still haven't fixed it. Yeah. So how many packages are in NPM? Do you, do you have that number? Um, it goes up by 700 a day. So I always have to check the homepage to find out what the number is going to be today. Today is 892,000. Wow. And, and like we can only really pluck out two famous <laughs> two famous uh, explosions, I guess. It's like high, but it's not astronomical, you know? It's it's a huge number, but it's it's not like in the billions or something really. We've, un- we've also discovered that um the number of packages the number of like popular packages is relatively small within that group. If you want to talk about the number of packages like if you want to, if you want to say to provide 100% security for everybody who's using the registry, you would have to secure all 892,000 packages, right? Everybody's using one of them for something. Um, but lots of them have only a handful of users. So if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to take care of 50% of downloads, if you wanted to make sure that 50% of all downloads were secure, you'd only have to secure about well, let me 500 guess. packages. 500 oh my gosh wow so it's like way less than one percent like the fat head of npm is super fat right um but the bigger you you know the bigger the percentage you try to cover that number gets real big real fast right to go from 50 percent to 75 percent it goes out to ten thousand. <laughs> okay wow. wow so so like the bulk of npm like the i guess most most projects only use like or like the majority of them use like 
like 500 projects? Is that kind of how I'm understanding it? No, it's not It's not quite like that. It's 50% of downloads. So nearly everybody is using something in the long tail, but you know, nearly everybody is also using w- packages in that, in that 500. Okay. Wow. So if we, if we completely secured those 500, it would, we would probably not completely secure any particular NPM user, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody, everybody's using something weird. React, Sorry? Express, what's the top 10? Um, it's, it's weird. Nothing, nothing that you'd think of as being like a famous package is in the top 10 because all of the really top 10 are uh, sub 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 dependencies, like really really popular chunks of other stuff. Really? So it's like WS and Q, and you don't think about either of those as being like a popular package. But those are the two. Those are the top two. Uh, probably the only one that the only one that's in everything that you probably have heard of is Lodash. Lodash is just in everything. Everybody uses Lodash for something. Oh, uh, you can't escape Lodash. It's people use Lodash for uh, things they probably shouldn't. Yeah. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by something really cool. It's an alternative to .com. It's the .design domain name. So if you're a designer and you've thought of a sweet name for your website and it isn't available under .com, check out .design. Chances are the domain name you want is waiting for you. You can head to porkbun.com and use the coupon code SHOPTALK on the checkout page to get your free .design domain name for your website. And .design is super widely used too. It's not like it's a super weird one anymore. There's Airbnb.design, Facebook.design, Uber.design, Adobe.design. There's so many of them. It's exactly the same. It's just a domain name and Google doesn't really care these days. It functions the same way as .com or .org. It's just more interesting. It looks great on resumes or business cards, on email addresses, and it's free. Did I mention that? You can go to porkbun.com and use coupon code SHOPTALK at checkout. And you get a free year of email hosting, who is privacy, and SSL certs, and all that stuff, which is pretty fantastic. You should go get one right now. Thanks to porkbun.com for sponsoring Shop Talk Show. So don't you, you produce, I mean, your date offs, but you produce kind of like a report what, yearly is it like survey based or a combination of survey and usage based and stuff like you there's all kinds of in, in, interesting data to 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 uncover here aren't you are you in the early days of processing that or is it about to come out or yeah um so last year we ran a survey um and it was kind of a lark we were just like let's run a survey we'll see what happens um and we got sixteen thousand responses which really shouldn't have been surprised but like we have you know we had 10 million users in 2017 we shouldn't have, we should have expected that a lot of people would reply. Um, and there was so, so much data in there. We basically just dined out on it for the rest of the day, of the rest of the year. We were like, all right, well, this informs what we should be doing about security. This informs our product strategy. This informs how marketing should be talking to people. This informs, you know, like that was when we found out how big a deal TypeScript was. That was when we found out, um, how many people, uh, are, you know, looking at GraphQL, which was a big surprise for us, like a bunch of stuff that we didn't know was as popular as we thought it was going to be turned out to be turned up in that data. So we ran it again at the end of last year um, and we got 33,000 responses this time. So more than twice as many. Um, so I'm just, just beginning to dig into that. In fact, last night was when I finished the first pass of digging through that data and found a bunch of fun stuff in there. And this is, the, so this is because you have, 
access to data all the time of like what's what's getting yanked right now and the, to some degree that will inform you that typescript is prop is popular presumably because there's some who knows some webpack loader for typescript or something that gets pulled mm-hmm. or maybe you have to pull typescript itself but that's different than asking somebody hi do you like what do you like <laughs> yeah and they we've, they pick it you know we 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 also do a lot of mining of the registry data itself um yeah you know just how much is this being downloaded you know is this trending up or down um i have this metric that i like a lot and i use it all the time called share of registry um because it's it's this funny thing. Every package, like every package author looks at their package and goes, wow, I have like, you know, 10% more downloads this month than I do last month. Like my package is getting super popular. But the thing is, the whole registry grows by 10% every month. Like every package gets 10% more downloads every single month because the whole registry is getting bigger. Like, you know, tens of thousands of people show up as brand new JavaScript users every single day. Um, so to really figure out if your package is getting more popular relative to everything else in the registry, you have to do some math. Um, oh, so I'm there's out. a bunch of packages. I'm I'm d- <laughs> <laughs> Luck- luckily, it's not super complicated math; just a little bit of math. But um, it it produces it produces some really uh, interesting interesting data. That is interesting. So so last year you find out TypeScript, GraphQL are cool. What, what else is on that list? And is that list the same this year? Or did we see any new players? Um, so I think uh, the, the biggest surprises last year were um, quite how popular TypeScript was. Um, 42% of people said they were using TypeScript last year. Um, and we asked again this year. Um, and that number jumped to 63%. Um, no kidding. But of we 33,000 like, people. Wow. But like, we were like, all right, last year the question was, do you use TypeScript? And this year we were like, 46% is a big number. When you say use, what exactly do you mean? Like, how are you using this? How often are you using this? Like, are you using somebody else's TypeScript? Are you writing TypeScript yourself? Did you try TypeScript one time and that counts as using it? Right. Um, so this year you we went know, into, you already know that it's cool, so you marked yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we went into a lot more detail this year and we got numbers that were um lower but a lot more believable. So um so up, so sixty three percent of people say they use TypeScript, but fifteen percent of people just say that they're using TypeScript, by which they mean they're using a framework or a library that uses TypeScript. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know and, Angular's and written in it and I use Angular, thus I use exactly. TypeScript. Yeah. So a bunch of people who use Angular report themselves as using TypeScript um, because they do. Of course they do. They're using Angular, um, but they don't write TypeScript. Uh, so people who say that they write TypeScript is only 42%, which is still a lot. So we dug deeper into those people and were like, do you write it all the time? Or are you just like trying it out once in a while? Um, and within the, within the 42% who say they write TypeScript, 52% say they primarily write TypeScript. They write it all the time. It's the thing they do most of the time. And another 34% say they do it some of the time. So if you do the math on that, it means that overall, 36% of NPM users are writing TypeScript some or most of the time. That is amazing, right? Like a third of NPM isn't JavaScript anymore. A third of NPM is this other thing Microsoft invented. Uh, that's, a, that's going to be a huge shift in 2019. It's going to change how we talk about web development, because NPM has been talking about ourselves. You know, we stopped calling ourselves the Node Package Manager five years ago and changed to calling ourselves the JavaScript Package Manager, but that's not true either. 
right? There's just tons and tons of TypeScript in there now and tons of people writing TypeScript and they're all using NPM every day. So now we're like, we're the script package manager, I suppose. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, and does, we're some kind of package manager. Does that, I mean, does this put NPM in a place where it's a bit of a trendsetter? Um, what, Cause people I'm sure are going to look at this jump in TypeScript usage and be like, Oh, I got to get a FOMO. I got to get on this TypeScript train. And do, do you feel like NPM, I guess, has a place in that? Is that good or bad? That's a really good question. Um, I think the fact that we are talking about TypeScript now and saying, yes, this is a trend, like it's real, this is definitely a thing that people are using and not just saying that they're using, um, will get some more people to use it than we're using it before. But like, we didn't make it up, right? Like 36% of people, that's like more than 4 million people. That's those, we didn't find those 4 million people and force them to start writing TypeScript. They found it all on their own, right? Like they are You're not some George uh, Soros super company, <laughs> Microsoft funded uh, dark money. Right. We're not, we aren't, we're not creating this trend at this point. We are just um, reporting this trend. And generally that's what we try to do. NPM doesn't try to tell people the right way to do things. We try to observe what they're doing and make that easy. So we're going to do that with TypeScript, right? Like if TypeScript, if TypeScript is what everybody is doing, then TypeScript is what we're going to let you do. Um, there is a an experimental new version of NPM called Tink um, that I'm going to be writing about some more in the in the coming months. Um, and it's like it's like Node, except it runs TypeScript natively. You don't need to transpile anything. You can just write TypeScript and run Tink and your file, and it works. And you don't have to think about where the modules are coming from. You don't have to think about how the transpilation is happening. You just write TypeScript as if it were a first-class language. Um, and it works today. Um, it's really magical to play with. Um, and we're, we're going to be doing more and more of that. Like all of the stuff that people do all the time that currently is a, like a third-party tool, we're going to start going, well, if everybody does it, we should just do it by default. You use, you use Webpack all the time, Webpack's going to be built in. You use uh, Babel all the time, Babel's just going to happen by default. Like we are just going to make it as easy as it possibly can to do the thing that you were already doing. This pink makes a lot of sense to me. It's, you know, it's some like Wayne Gretzky, like let's skate where the puck is going to be kind of thing. Like we can see these trends happening. Let's build tools to support what people want to do. And then at the same time feel exactly the opposite. Like why, like nothing at NPM seems like it needs to fundamentally change to to support trends. Like it's just some files, right? So like who cares? Why don't you just let trends come and go? And it's kind of awesome to have this technology that transcends trends in a way. <laughs> um, I think the I've been doing web development a while now. I've been doing web development 23 years. And I think um, one of the constants of my career has been that um, old timers like myself look at something and go, ah, that's just a flash in the pan trend. And then it turns out to be how things work now, right? Um, when I was when I was just starting, I was using PHP, and people were like, "Ah, it's just a trend. You're just using a framework. You should learn Perl like a real programmer." And I was like, "All right, but I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna keep using PHP because it's much easier. Um, and whatever's easiest tends to win. That seems to be that seems to be the guiding principle. So if people are finding TypeScript that solves problems for them, and uh, a lot of people are adopting TypeScript because they find it easier to get stuff done." then 
it's not going to be a trend, right? It's just going to be the new normal. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. React is uh, React. I think I don't. Th- I don't know that I know that TypeScript is going to be that yet. TypeScript might still be might still be a trend. It's not. It's not big enough. Thirty six percent isn't big enough. What is big enough is React. React is at something like sixty three percent adoption. That is more than twice as big as any other web framework has ever been. It's gigantic. Like it's, it is unprecedented. And it means that there's a whole generation of developers who've come up in the last two or three years for whom the React model of building a component where we break all of these rules that we thought were true in 2005. They're like, yeah, your CSS and your JavaScript and your HTML, they're all mixed together in this one big file. It's fine. Like, that's how things work now. That's how they grew up. That's right. how they expect things to work. I would think that, that trend is such a big deal that it will affect what what choices browsers make. Because they, they could be like, hey, hold on. I don't think this is a good way to, to ship code to us. Authors are going to be like, well, get on it. I don't care what you think. This is I, what we're doing. Yeah. I had a fascinating conversation um, with the people who work on Chrome uh, late last year Um where I'm not even sure if they have publicly announced this yet, but basically, I won't go too far, but basically they said, so we are going to, we are going to go where the river is going. We're going to stop trying to push back against it. Everybody is doing this React thing. We are going to make it so that browsers are good at React. Um, what does that mean exactly? I don't think they've fully decided. Um, obviously, web components exist. Uh, the people who use web components say that they like that they are fast because they are built into the browser, but they also say that they don't like writing them. Like they're kind of a pain. They, uh, the, mm-hmm. the developer ergonomics are not good. Everybody likes the developer ergonomics of React. So if you built React into browsers, then everybody, you know, you'd have the developer experience everybody likes and you'd suddenly get the performance benefit of it being built into the browser. Plus all of these websites that already exist and our built-in React would just get faster for free. Um, that would be amazing. So uh, I think that's a really exciting direction. And I think the thing that points the way here is jQuery. Everybody talks about jQuery as like, it was this library that we used to use. Nobody uses jQuery anymore. That's not cool. That's not true. Everybody uses jQuery, right? The thing that was built into, the thing that jQuery invented that was really great was being able to use CSS selectors to get DOM elements. And they mm-hmm. built that into the browser. That's just part of the browser now. You didn't stop using jQuery. You just forgot that you were using jQuery because it's part of the browser now. And I think that's going to happen to React. That'll be fascinating. There's, it seems like a more clear A to B with jQuery of like, oh, that's a nice little one-liner syntax. When you say <laughs> we're going to make React yeah. work in the browser, you're like, what do you what do you mean? Like state management? Or I, I don't like quite get it. But I'm sure they are. Like if they're not... Dumb. They also are thinking about the. I mean, their business is huge and important too, and everybody's doing the same thing, trying to go where the people are going. There are tons of smaller examples, like a lot of like the drag and drop APIs that exist now. Those used to be, you know, browser shims. Um, there's a there's a ton of stuff uh, that's built into browsers now that sort of transcended from being a library. Um, so, I think. Uh, I, I think given that we've done it successfully in the past, we will find a way to do it successfully again for React. 
This is, just because you mentioned PHP, and I don't. I, this is just my ignorance. I don't quite understand it. But why doesn't npm serve that type of thing too? Like, why can't you be the de facto PHP package manager too? Do you not want to? Is there a technological fundamental difference between JavaScript code and PHP code? I mean, well, the most obvious reason is that PHP has a package manager and it's not broken, so we don't need to. You know, we don't need to fix it. Um, it's something we talk about once in a while, um, especially when we look at the bad time that the people who run the other registries are having. Um, you know, those people, they're, they were not having fun in 2014, and they are e- having even less fun in 2019. They do not have the money. They do not have the resources. They do not have the time to keep up with the security and scaling challenges that they face. And that is a problem for them, and it's a problem for the languages that they serve. Um, I think part of the growth that JavaScript has seen has been, has been because NPM has been so robust. Yeah. Um, so occasionally we do look at those other languages and go, well, we could have done, you know, we could become the package manager for PHP. We could, you know, absorb Ruby gems. Yeah. Is that a growth opportunity for you or is it just too dangerous? Surely they sit around and have meetings and say, Hey, why can't we do what they're doing? You know, the way that we've been successful is focusing on what we're very good at. And we're very good at JavaScript. We're very good at web development. We know what those kinds of people want. Um, and we've seen other companies build products that try to be everything for every language simultaneously. And they are always 80% solutions. They're like, we do everything, but we're kind of crappy at all of them. And if we built, you know, if we tried to build a Ruby solution, if we tried to build a PHP solution, we are not primarily PHP developers. We're not primarily Ruby developers. We wouldn't understand at the sort of visceral level, how people in those communities want those tools to work. So we'd get it wrong, and they probably wouldn't like our tools. And also, you know, we don't want to be the 800-pound gorilla, right? We don't want to stomp in and be like, all right, we're your baggage manager now. Get on board. Like, no. Like, if if those communities want to start using NPM, they can invite us in and we'll, and, and we'll help them. But we're not, you know, no one's currently begging us to come around, so we're not going to just stomp in and, uh, you know, Messed up somebody else's garden. Very, very fair and smart. Um, this is kind of a classic NPM question, perhaps. Dave, I think you were wondering about like what's what makes for like a good <laughs> node package or a bad node package, or is the, is is that like unfair to have a spectrum of good versus bad for a package? Or is there yeah, is there like a quality rating system like a I don't know NPM inspector that goes around? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's fart apps of NPM packages, right, that are just dumb jokes. There there are so many dumb NPM packages, let me tell you. Or imagine an NPM package that just wants to count node modules, and once installed, it recompiles libsass at some point. Perhaps that module exists on your system somewhere. How would you go about uh, vetting the quality of that? That's not a hypothetical example at all. No, nope, not at all, not at all, nope. A package that <laughs> counts node modules uh, also installs libsass. It's very hard to define uh, a simple metric that counts a package as good. Um, my favorite example uh, for years has been McDerp. Um, you know, what McDerp does is it uh, it runs mcderp-p, right? It creates a directory. Even if you create a directory eight directories deep, it creates all of the subdirectories it needs to get there. That sounds um, useful. That's a really simple function. It's, it is useful. It's a really simple function. It's different on every single operating system, so you have to write it differently for every operating system you're on. Nobody wants to get it right, so they just install Mustard and they use that. 
Um, but McDerp, the package looks like it's broken because it's in version zero point something and it hasn't been updated in like three years. And the reason it hasn't been updated in three years is because it's done. It's perfect. It doesn't need to change. Um, so if you were using metrics of like, you know, maintenance and quality and, you know, upload updates and stuff like that, none of those metrics work for McDerp. And that's true of a lot of the really, um, low level, uh, heavily dependent packages. They get infrequent updates because they are small. They do one thing and they are doing it really well at this point. Um, so, uh, downloads is a proxy to popularity and popularity is an imperfect proxy to quality. So downloads is, is the metric that we all have always exposed. Um, but we know that it's not perfect. We know that there are lots of very popular packages that actually have superior alternatives that, you know, we think they're superior, um, that don't get as many downloads. Um, but you're right that it is part of NPM's job to help figure that out. NPM, one of the things that NPM does is it provides search. It provides discovery for all of these packages, not just the downloading of them. So um, as, you know, somebody focused chiefly on NPM's data, uh, that is part of my job, making a be- getting, getting a better sense of what goes into a good package and how to show that to everybody. That's one of the things that we're going to try and improve in the next year. I'd see how you might want to just stay away from it entirely because maybe it just doesn't matter that much. But I could see, but if it if it could be done well, that would be cool to see too. I'm also curious about this. Like, okay, so there's McDerp, or let's say there's some equally old package that is written in JavaScript. It's meant to be digested in the client, you know, like in the browser context. Uh, but it w- literally was written six years ago, say, and it still does. It's perfect. Like it doesn't need to change. It still does something wonderfully good. But something changed around it. Like it's not ready f- to be imported as a module because it, that that technology just wasn't around then. They or whatever, you know. Like it's it's not. You can't import it. So it's like it doesn't need. Like it's still good. Like the code doesn't need to change. It's functional, functionally perfect, but it's just not being exported correctly. So is there a way to like surface that? Like this package is ready to be used in Webpack with your regular way, or like this one isn't. You know, um, web ready packages is definitely um, one of the one of the things that we should be able to surface. Um, one of the thing, one of the numbers I don't have that I'm definitely going to get this year is how much of the registry is already ES6. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Um, a lot, a lot of it is common JS, but a lot of it is ES6. Like React is entirely written in ES6. Um, uh, although it's sort of an imaginary version of ES6. Uh, it's, it's like Babel's version of ES6. It isn't quite ES6. Really? Oh, that's what we talked about Henry about last week in some way. Like if somebody at some point wrote some stage zero crap because they just didn't care whatever and the language moved a little bit then you're kind of locked to that weird version forever until somebody writes it rewrites yeah i think i'm actually i'm really i'm strongly expecting um that react is going to switch to typescript this year nobody at react has told me that that's going to happen i just think that's going uh, you heard it here first i'm gonna put it on my calendar yeah put it on the old (laughs) calendar that Ooh, there's another one claim coming chowder. up here, Dave, that's yeah. really embarrassing for me. That was a claim chowder that I f- epically failed on. But let's see. I'm going to go. Is January 1st next year cool? <laughs> sure. No problem. Um, I I saw this morning that Yarn is rewriting itself in TypeScript. Wow. See, um, there, oh, that would send my sniffer going. Right. And like, you know, the people who write the people who write Yarn and the people who write Babel, they're not a million miles apart, right? Like a lot of those are the same people. Um, so I think if one of those is happening... Um, 
that's gonna it's good react gonna be the next thing to go This episode is also brought to you by Jetpack. Jetpack.com, the folks behind WordPress Automatic make this awesome plugin for WordPress that enables a whole bunch of awesome features. Stuff you've heard about before on the podcast, but this time I want to talk about activity, a new thing they've just added to Jetpack. What it allows you to do is have a complete record of everything that happens on your WordPress site. When you've got a website with multiple users, whether you're maybe the developer and you've got clients that are using the website, or maybe it's a team of folks who are writing and, and updating a website, it's nice to have an audit trail so you can see what happened when, especially if something breaks. So Activity's comprehensive list of all the activity takes the guesswork out of site management, debugging, and repair on your website. Even the free Jetpack plan gets you access to the 20 most recent events on your WordPress website. And customers on any paid plan will see events for the last 30 days. And if you have the professional plan, you can see events from the last year. And any site with a paid plan has the added ability to filter activities by type and time range so you can quickly find the information you're looking for. So Activity is just the latest feature that's been added to Jetpack. Of course, there's tons of other things that they give you as part of Jetpack. You can get WordPress themes, optimize your site's photos and videos without slowing down your site using WordPress's CDN. With Monitor, Protect, and Restore, you can have automatic defense against hacks, malware, spam, data loss, and downtime. And while WordPress.com is still the best place to manage your site, you can also do a lot of it from the mobile app they have for Android or iOS. And if Jetpack isn't working quite right for you, they have free support for customers and priority support for paid plans. So be sure and check out Jetpack.com for the full list of features and options that you have. If you use WordPress, it's a no-brainer just to click on and install Jetpack. Thanks to them for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. So you, you mentioned Yarn. I hope it's not a sore spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but how how does Yarn and NPM, you know, does that relationship work? Does, does Yarn still just use NPM under the hood? Um, and then even some of the advantages of Yarn, like it shipped with a lock file first, you know, that was like the big thing. Uh, but now that's not the case. Like what, I guess, is there a, what's, what's kind of the relationship between Yarn and NPM? Like we use Yarn at work and I don't even know why. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of people who use Yarn fall into the category that you just put yourself in. Um, when Yarn was released, it did two things that well, it did one thing that we didn't do, and that had a really great side effect. It did the it did the lock file, um, and because it did the lock file, it had to do a lot less of a lot less checking on the server because the lock file just says download these exact versions. Don't bother to check if there are newer or better versions. Just download these, um, and that made Yarn twice as fast as NPM because it was doing half as many requests because NPM used to go, okay, what versions are available? Okay, I'll download that version. Two requests, and Yarn just goes, I'll download that version. You'd have to do the negotiation of 2,000 modules per project to figure out which ones you needed to download first, right? Exactly. So um, so Yarn was a lot faster than NPM because of the lock file, and the lock file also made builds a lot more predictable. Um, and the reason that Yarn did that is because Facebook was one of the first web applications to be big enough to run into the problem of Semver drift as like a constant problem, right? They were constantly getting weird new patch versions and because they had 2,000 packages in there, and it just became untenable. So they were like, no, we need to switch to lock files. Let's do that. And they were right. They, were the, they showed us the way on that. Um, so we adopted a lock file. NPM has lock files by default ever since version 5. 
Um, and as a result of us adopting a log file, we also got twice as fast. So now the two, the two package managers are pretty much the same speed um, and have pretty much the same feature set. And one of them is written by NPM and one of them is written by a bunch of other people. Um, but they both talk to the same registry. Um, so in terms of just like installing packages, they're fine. They're both equally good. Um, where we think we have the edge is uh, all of the security features that we've added uh, to NPM in version six. Um, those are uh, either not yet adopted or only just being adopted by Yarn. Um, and of course, we're going to be releasing more this year. So uh, we think security should be a big concern for everybody. We think that our client is more secure than Yarn's client. So we think that people should continue to be using NPM rather than Yarn. Um, but, you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. It all works the same. It all comes from the same registry. You can, you know, you can still use our paid products, even if you're a Yarn user. It's, I wonder if the it, client doesn't care. Because I don't know. This is a, like, a, it feels gross to talk about hypotheticals. But let's say, you know, like you right now, you're like, Yarn's fine. Like, you know, we don't really care that much. It's not like we're going to somehow try to break Yarn or something. That would seems like that would have bad voodoo for the community at large. But let's say, you know, somebody made a version of Yarn that really was malicious in some way and harmed NPM in some way. I imagine you as a company would probably take steps to, to stop that from happening. So I imagine you have the tools and capabilities somehow to eliminate alternative package managers from working, but you probably have no plans to do that. Oh, the McConnell option. <laughs> Yarn has its own registry, uh, or rather it has its own registry domain. Um, at, it used to be like a proxy to our registry, but now we're both on Cloudflare, so it's literally just an alias to our registry. Like it's, it's literally just an alternative name for our registry. So we can tell the package, packages that are being downloaded via Yarn's registry. Um, and if something were to go horribly wrong with Yarn, um, that would be the big red button. We could make that. We could make it stop there. We could be like, we're not serving packages to this alias. Um, but there's a lot of Yarn users. That would be it would have to be terrible. It would have to be a really bad problem. Like Yarn's already had a couple of problems with NPM. Um, it famously can't publish to NPM. I think they're trying to fix that still um, because it doesn't follow the right uh, tarball format to publish the packages. Um, and it's it's done a couple of other things that that, uh, that either mess up our data or mess up the packages um, when they come down, and we've had to fix those. But none of them have been anything close to as bad. And also the people who run Yarn, they're not, you know, they're not our enemies. They are our co-conspirators in the world of JavaScript. And when we tell them that something that Yarn is doing is not good for the registry, they are very good about fixing that Oh, that's stuff. great. Yeah, yeah, it's, it seems like, uh, especially at the time, like a necessary fork, you know, um, just, just that they could achieve their lock file goals, you know. Um, it was, it was honestly an experiment that we weren't brave enough to try. We were, too, we were, we thought that the people who would be pissed off by a lock file would be greater than the people who would benefit, and we were incorrect. Well, you know, to be fair, a lock file, and I believe Yehuda Katz worked on it, who also worked on the bundler lock file in Ruby. Um, you know. It's awful. It, it's always wrong. You know, you, you don't know if you should commit it or not commit it. And then you're like, and then everyone's mad because they're. You commit it. I think you're work. supposed to so, commit it, right? That's the point to commit uh, it. Who knows? <laughs> the funny thing is, Yehuda switched back to NPM. Yeah. Yehuda doesn't use Yarn anymore. Right. Right. I mean, so it's, I, I just like it. 
I understand why somebody wants it for sure, for sure, for sure. But, um, but I also is like, it's, it's not always, not always the funnest thing to be like, like in a locked state sort of from your gem file or package file. It's pretty important. Or you're just trying to hop into a project and work and somebody committed something weird. So yeah, there are some old timers who, who, you know, when I go to conferences, they're like, why is there a lock file? I hate it. Uh, and I'm like, you can just disable it. It's still optional. It's just on by. I default. know why we use it at CodePen in the in our preprocessors, our like little lambda functions, because we can't like update something and then have the way that code is processed for our users be all of a sudden different one day. Like that's not acceptable, you know. In in general, it's it's just a function of of npm being used for web development more than it's being used for server side applications, just because, um, like web web apps, they use so many more packages and the web environment's just a lot more fragile than the server environment. It's a lot more um, sensitive to a sudden change in some, in, you know, even quite a minor patch version. Uh, so web apps just, they break more often when you change the underlying code and server side code doesn't do it as often. So when, when um, like 97% of people who use NPM are writing web apps. Um, so, you know, we have to reflect that we had to, we had, that was a surprise. <laughs> Uh, and we had to adapt to that new reality. Yeah, I mean, I guess with the untimely death of Bauer, um, y'all inherited a lot of that front-end kind of code. Yeah, the um, uh, I always expect the I always expected the Bauer people to be sort of mad that people stopped using Bauer and switched to a combination of you know npm and Webpack. Um, uh, but uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of npms.io. Oh. It's a search engine for NPM that is, uh, is or was, it was better than the search engine that we'd built for NPM. Um, and, uh, the two guys who built it, they open sourced it and literally just handed it to us. They're like, we don't want to run the servers. That's a pain in the butt. But here's a much, much better search engine. And we were like, you are correct. Our search sucked. And this search is great because it's written by two people who are very good at search. So now NPM search is powered by this open source project and PMS.io. Oh, really? Wasn't it Algolia for a minute or no? No, not. It was, Algolia helps us out for a little bit there, but no, it's, it's, it's primarily this, this open source and PMS.io. Cool. Um, and one of the people who wrote it is the guy who wrote Bauer. Oh, there um, you go. <laughs> and I didn't find that out until years later. He didn't mention it when he was giving us all of this amazing code to make search better. He didn't. He wasn't like, yeah, no, I'm the same Andre who wrote. <laughs> I was like, oh, some great. heroes wear capes. <laughs> I guess you're some not heroes mad. Just contribute code. That's great. So, what about more? Can we talk more law landscape stuff? I think that's of interest to people watching this show. Like, where do you see things going? And you know, just because you have such a wide view of it, it'd be fascinating to to hear about this. Especially because what what 99 of people use npm use it for literally building websites. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was why I was excited to come on the show at this time because you were saying you were sort of like trying to, you know, set the stage for the conversations for the rest of the year. And I'm like, let me tell you about the stage because I have this great view. I want the stage. stage. Um, I want this. Tell us the stage. <laughs> I, we should know the stage, but tell, please tell us the stage. Um, so definitely, um, so React being the bedrock of everything, I think is, is um, going to be, it was already true in 2018 and it's going to stay true in 2019. I think the strength and continued adoption of TypeScript is going to be another of the biggest stories in 2019. Um, 
I think, as you've already mentioned, security is going to become a bigger deal for more and more people. It should have, it should have been already. Um, and people are just beginning to catch up to it, especially in big companies. Big companies have a problem with security, which is that JavaScript kind of snuck up on them, right? Like five years ago, there were like three people in the corner who were writing some jQuery and it was fine and you didn't need to think too hard about it. And now, like, I walked into a building in a major bank in New York the other day and they had a thousand people just in that building who did nothing but write JavaScript. And it wasn't the only building they had. <laughs> it's like, wow. all right. And what is your JavaScript security story? And they were like, we were hoping you could tell. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, fantastic. They're just, everybody is using tons and tons of JavaScript and like so much more than they were using five years ago. And like the security systems and processes and all of that stuff just have not caught up to that, this reality yet. Um, so it's why we, we are pushing so hard on that thing. And the other, the other thing re- closely related to that, which is another sort of like JavaScript has grown up concern is um, compliance. Uh, we heard from a lot of like big companies using JavaScript um, that licenses were a problem. They were like a lot of the code in the registry it's either ambiguously licensed or it doesn't have a license or it runs two licenses at the same time and we're not sure which one wins. Could like you hire a lawyer and tell us? Um, and we were like, how many people actually care about the license? Um, and we discovered that 58% of people think that the license is important. It affects their decision on whether or not they should use a package. And we were like, okay, fine, they care, but does it, you know, are they actually prevented from using a package if it has a license they're not allowed to use? And that's true. 55% of the people who care uh, are actively prevented from using certain licenses. So those two numbers together means something like a third of all NPM users can't use packages with certain licenses. Um, and that's big news, right? Like that's well into the category of, oh, well, if it's that important to that many people, then NPM should be doing something about that, right? There are some third-party things that you can use right now that will do license checking and stuff. But there were third-party things that you could do about security before we invented audit, um, and they weren't good enough either, right? Building it into the tool makes it the default, and making it the default means that everybody else does it, even when they don't know yet that they're supposed to. Um, so making sure that you are not downloading packages that are illegal to use, which is you know the primary problem with a bad license, uh, is a thing that we're going to have to look at. Where would, I guess would you restrict that like in your package.json? Like I cannot do... Uh, GPL comes to mind, right? Because if I use any GPL, my code has to be GPL and therefore has to be like public domain. You know, even my server code would have to be public domain. Um, yeah. And, and then, yeah, what do you, I guess, like in my package.json, would I have like a no GPL preset or something? We're, we're still working on the exact, uh, the exact shape of the solution. Yeah. Um, Okay. Like with security, with security, we can be a little bit more prescriptive. We can say it's not secure or it is. Um, with licenses, it's a little bit more flexible, right? Some people are okay with GPL um, and some people are not. So we can't just be like, no GPL ever. That would be bad. Um, but we can certainly mm. make it configurable and we can certainly pick some defaults. Uh, and so that's that's probably what we're going to do. But that could jam um, up the tree, the dependency tree too, couldn't it? I mean, like if I'd say I don't want GPL, like, you know, a fifth level dependency might be GPL. I mean, it could, but the fact of the matter is it's already doing that, right? It already like is, if, yeah. You know, if, if, GPLs are, if GPL is five levels deep in your code, then 
hey, surprise, you've been writing GPL code this whole time. Like people do not like hearing that. Right. Um, it does jam up the code. The GPL is a problem, especially for people writing commercial software. Um, like, I don't want to hate on the GPL as a concept. Like, it's great. But, like, when you're right, like, MIT is a much more business-friendly license, and people prefer it for that reason. Um, there's also just a ton of code on there without a license. Um, I always get the jurisdiction wrong, but um, there's a difference between the UK and Europe about how code without a license works. In one of them, if your code doesn't have a license, that automatically means it's public domain. And in one of them, if your code doesn't have a license, it automatically means it's copyrighted and nobody can use it for anything. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Twist. So if, it, <laughs> right, so if it doesn't have a license, it's unusable in half of the two biggest markets for JavaScript. Isn't that even in the U.S. it's like that, isn't it? That, <clears throat> at least that's how I thought it was. That- I think the U.S. is the one where it's, where it's automatically copyrighted and the EU is the one where it's automatically in the public domain. Right. I've been yelled at that before. Like, is it so tempting to just not think about it and just push some crap to GitHub or NPM or whatever? And then you'll hear from people that's like, I get that you don't care about licenses, but I can't use it until you do. You know? Exactly. And there's a lot of people who are using, you know, comedy licenses, you know, like the unlicensed or the WTFPL. Uh, and like, you know... Those they are lesser and greater degrees of comedy. They are lesser and greater degrees of taking things seriously. But like lawyers don't know what they mean, and if a lawyer doesn't know what it means, then you can't use the code, right? It doesn't matter if if the intention was clear because like lawyers have different standards for this stuff. Yeah. And so we are gonna, you know, JavaScript's growing up, and we're gonna help people navigate that. Okay. So um, the the stage so to, far: React, TypeScript, security, compliance. Yeah. So the last the last three are the ones that are. They're not going to be big this year. They're, you should start up paying attention to them this year. Okay. okay. Um, uh, the first one is serverless. Um, we asked people where they deploy their code. Uh, and this wasn't like an exclusive question. It was like you could answer multiple, but 33% of people said that they are using serverless code. So what does that mean? Uh, you know, how did serverless, the serverless environment is very different from uh, node running on a server and it's very different from node running in a browser what do we have to do to make life easy for people who are running Lambda all the time? Um, I already mentioned GraphQL. Uh, only about uh, 22% of people, uh, sorry, 23% of people are using GraphQL some of the time or or most of the time. Um, but 50% of people are considering it. Uh, 50% of people are looking at GraphQL and going, maybe this is the year. Um, so I think I think that means that GraphQL is going to get really big this year. And also in that category is WebAssembly. I think WebAssembly is like the newest of the new. Only 3% of people say that they're using WebAssembly because you can do almost nothing in WebAssembly right now. Uh, But 54% of people are interested in using it. It's like good marketing because all I know about it, I mean, I know a little, but but it feels like the marketing is, it's super fast. You're going to love it. It's compiled. It's so funny that you should say that because we were we had the same question. We were like, "What do you think WebAssembly will do?" Because twenty two percent of people haven't even heard of it yet. Um, but within the people who've heard of it, sixty five percent of them think it's going to be faster than JavaScript, and that's funny because the people who write WebAssembly, like as the people who write you know V eight and wrote WebAssembly the concept, not WebAssembly the code. They're like, it's not actually that fast. Like, if you write good JavaScript, it'll be just as fast. It's just easier to get fast mm. with WebAssembly because it's it it more often stays on the optimized. Well, maybe path. it's that I don't write most of the JavaScript I use. I just pull it down, and so if the whole the whole ball of wax gets WebAssembly, 
you got to imagine there's some. Yeah, I I think that's one of the places it's going to see some use is like in deep dependencies where people are like, well, we call this thing a million times a second. Can we make it faster? Yes. And then the whole app gets faster. So it'll start turning up in sub sub dependencies. Mm. Um, but I think the more interesting thing in this and like 47% of people agreed, the more interesting use case for WebAssembly is that you can take a library that was written in some other language and you can just bring it to the web. You can just cross compile it and bring it in and publish it as an NPM package and it will, it will interact with your JavaScript. No problem. Wow. Um, which is, um, which is amazing. Um, so, you know, uh, OpenGL libraries, really complicated, really complicated machine learning stuff, like anything where somebody wrote a lot of really fiddly, complicated C that does something very hard, very efficiently. You don't have to rewrite it in JavaScript to use it on the web anymore. You can just bring it in as WebAssembly, and that is going to be amazing. Because you know, we talked about 900,000 packages in NPM. How many more packages exist in other libraries, and suddenly they can all be in NPM? Like, how much bigger will NPM get? How much more useful will JavaScript be if we can pull in literally any library in any language and use it on the web? That's going to be super, super fun. So that's why I'm excited about WebAssembly. Wow, that does seem like a big deal. Good. Well, that feels like a really great place to uh, stop. Uh, Thank you very much, Laurie, for coming on the show. For people who are not following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Our website is npmjs.com, and we provide services both for small and medium businesses and big enterprises, anything you want, starting at 7 bucks per user a month. Uh, and if you want to follow me personally, I am Seldo on Twitter, S-E-L-D-O. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been super informative, so I really appreciate it. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher choice. Be sure to Starheart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And um, if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you and Chris. Would you like to NPM install anything else at the end of this show? <laughs> Jobtalkshow.com. <laughs>